what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Welcome to the Entrepreneur Exchange on the Mesh Podcast Network, a monthly conversation about startups, small business, with ideas, tools, and advice to operate your business more effectively. On today's show, successful businesses have to find the right niche to survive, and more looking at our environment and sustainability as a way to compete. Today, we'll be talking with Eric Henry, who is CEO of TS Designs in Burlington, North Carolina where he's making high-quality apparel here in the United States with local and sustainable materials, carving out his niche despite having to battle low-cost overseas imports. We'll also be highlighting some small businesses that you should be checking out on our Small Business of the Month feature. Hello, my name is Jeff Newville. I'm your co-host. I'm director of the Manufacturing Solution Center in Conover, North Carolina. I'm joined by my co-host, Gary Muller, who is Executive Dean of Economic Development and Corporate Education at Catawba Valley Community College in Hickory, North Carolina. Gary, how are you doing today? I'm doing okay. It's been a little bit rough start to 2024, like we were talking about. My basketball team, I'm seeing you're wearing your Carolina shirt, which obviously they're playing great. Wake Forest had a nice run of nine games, and now it's a little bit rough patch for us. Well, you know, it's... uh, it's Groundhog Day today. We're, we're taping this on Groundhog Day, so maybe you'll get six more weeks of basketball season. Maybe there's some wins right there. Right now, I'm looking for our baseball team's preseason number one in the country. So you're you're hoping spring comes early. And that we don't play the baseball, because it sounds good to say that we're one in the country. Okay. Well, that's good. Well, I'm... I'm <laughs> you, know, you don't know what to say when I say I, that. Uh, yeah. I'm, I went to Carolina. We have they're playing Duke this weekend. It's a big. That's know, a big a, game. Big game for me. I'll have to make sure no one else is in my house because I, I get a little. I get a little upset and stressed out during these games, and sometimes throw things and say things that might embarrass me. And I need you to tell my wife Tammy that so she knows that I'm not the only one. Okay, well, I'll, I'm happy to give you a little <laughs> bit of cover there, but. We're very fortunate to have a guest with us today. Let's uh, welcome our guest, Eric Henry. Eric, how are you doing today? Good morning, and uh, I got to make a, a plug for those Go Heels. Big basketball game this weekend. So, um, but yeah, thanks so much for inviting me to be on your show today. Looking forward to it. Well, Eric, uh, we're glad that you're here. We're glad that you have some Tar Heel roots as well. Uh, and and uh, just as a, a matter of introduction, as I mentioned, uh, Eric is the CEO of a company called TS Designs in Burlington, North Carolina, that uh, does manufacturing of high-quality printed apparel. Uh, they focus on being domestic. They focus on uh, providing a trackable supply chain and being very transparent. Eric, uh, although you would not know it by looking at him, has been doing this for over 40 years. and He looks like a youngster. And uh, he has seen many changes and transitions in the apparel industry from where it went uh, being a primarily domestic industry to where over 97% of clothing is now produced overseas. But Eric is on a mission to to, to change some of that. And uh, uh, Eric, it looks like you also have some other interest in, in Beyond Apparel, and then I noticed that you're also a board member of the Burlington Beer Works Co-op. Is that true? That's correct. I, that is the first cooperatively-owned brewery in the state. At the time we opened, there were 10 in the country. So we purposely, again, I don't know anything about making beer, although I enjoy it. I don't know anything about uh, good food, but I also enjoy that. So 
we created a uh, business in downtown Burlington that's owned by the community. So I think we've got 3,000 owners now, and wow. we purpose designed it that way. So um, that Burlington Beer Works will always be a part of Burlington, no matter what happens to me, move, go, whatever. Uh, so, yes, that's been open now just five years. So, so I mean, is it a place where, where we can come and sit down and have a beer? I mean, are they, are they brewing sure. there? What's, what's, what's going on there? For sure. Come on down. Again, we took three buildings in downtown Burlington. We went three stories up. Um, again, we make our own beer, focus on local food, um, open uh, Tuesday through Sunday, um, brunch on weekends, uh, just a phenomenal thing. And we purposely, you know, I've lived in Burlington now for 63 years, I think, losing track of time. Um, but I mean, what our downtown used to be, like a lot of small downtowns, and through globalization and the invention of strip shopping centers and malls and stuff like that, our small town was devastated. And so, um, unfortunately, I started a cooperative grocery store downtown, and that model was a little bit ahead of its time, and that did not work. But we took that same idea of a cooperative ownership business, and this is a more like a retail base like REI is, so it's owned by the community. But anyway, uh, we, we got the idea. People like good beer, like good food. Uh, we want to invest in downtown Burlington, and uh, it has been a phenomenal success uh, in going through the whole, I think, year after we opened, you know, we had to go through the whole COVID stuff. But uh, we got a great staff down there and phenomenal food and beer. So please, next time in Burlington, stop by. The beer's on me. Uh, well, easy for, that's, well, just just tell me. And the food. Yeah, <laughs> the just food tell Eric saying, yeah, all right. That's well, great. Good to hear. Well, I I... I I, I and some friends of mine look for interesting places to drink beer, so that's going on the radar. So we, well, that's we, on the way to Chapel Hill, isn't it? Yeah, it is. We're about we're about thirty minutes from Chapel Hill, so yes, you yeah, can no, come no, by no. as you're coming out no, of Hickory yeah. off of Forty, drop right off into Burlington, have a beer, or so and then shoot on down to uh, Chapel Hill about another thirty minutes. Sounds good. All right. Well, well, you know, I'm, I'm glad we got the beer out of the way. <laughs> that is my top priority, but. Uh, you know, you've been, tell us a little bit about TS Designs. You've been working with them for a long time and you, you, you've been sort of, you know, bobbing up and down in the wind, the, the waves of change going on in the industry. So, so tell us, tell folks a little bit about what TS Designs does and sort of the changes that you've had to deal with since uh, uh, NAFTA many, many years ago, yep. but how you sort of fought back from it. I, I remember NAFTA very well, but again, I'm Eric Henry, president of TS Designs, and we're mainly in the custom printed apparel business, i.e. printed t-shirts. So for us, NAFTA was the, the, the pivot point of our business. Uh, TS Designs have been around 48 years. I've been here 44 years. Um, TS Designs comes from my retired business partner's name, Tom Sineath. Some people call it t-shirts, but it's just Tom Sineath. So anyway, uh, we built a what they call larger high contract, no, excuse me, high volume contract screen printer. Uh, moved, got into this building again, uh, I think two years before NAFTA. And so our brands were Tommy, Nike, Gap, Polo, Adidas. Over 120 people worked here. Banks loved this business, was great. January 1, 1994, NAFTA's ratified. Within two years, over 100 of those employees had to be laid off. The brands left, as we know, that giant sucking sound that Ross Perot talked about. This, this was ground zero. You know, 
I got here because my dad actually used to work for Burlington Industries. And um, so it was just devastating, not only to our business, to our community, to textiles and apparel, because that was the start of many other uh, global trade agreements. And as you mentioned earlier, Jeff, and I use the word 98%, 97%, whatever, of our clothes now are made overseas. But we realized then, as we realize now, just there's something wrong when you go outside of your market for a product or service your market can deliver. And believe it or not, and per the painting behind me from a photograph, we grow great cotton here. So we realized then, again, as we realize now, um, we're not leaving. And so it, it has been a challenging uphill battle because in general, I believe the apparel industry has moved overseas They've really attention their focus of how to take advantage of that much cheaper labor, which sometimes or a lot of times is unsustainable. And then also the lack of regulations when it comes around environmental, social values, definitely in, in developing countries. Um, you know, they've been able to max out their you know profits, their bottom lines. And so uh, I like to say that bill is now due. You know, you cannot continue to neglect the impact of people and planet. Uh, which has been done by the apparel industry. And now as we understand more what those costs are, it's important. Now, I will drop another scary fact on you back to the 97 98%. The other big thing that's looming in the background that we're just now talking about, and I've talked to quite a few people and they think the number is on the conservative side, really. Somebody actually had a higher number than we got talking. 30% of the clothes that are manufactured never ever make it to retail. Somebody sits in office somewhere trying to figure out what you guys are going to be wearing a year from now because it's coming from overseas. I wish mm -hmm. we never called it fast fashion because it's not fast. But anyway, somebody's trying to figure out what you're going to wear and then they, they make an estimate. So now what brands do, they incorporate that 30% loss into their cost. But the image that I like to show, and I'm getting a little off tangent here, Jeff, bring me back in a second, but the uh, image that just sticks in my mind, I show a lot, is a satellite image of a desert in Chile where the pile of clothes is bigger than the town it sits beside. That's where we are today. And so what we're doing, we're not, what's the, you know, you, you would be screaming if that was in your backyard. Mm -hmm. But no, we're taking advantage of this place in Chile because they don't have the rules and regulations. Europe is much further ahead on this. U.S. better get its act together. But again, that bill is now due when it comes to impact to people and planet. And are you suggesting that uh, the reason that 30% of uh, apparel never makes it to retail is just because of extended uh, poor forecasting, ex extended supply chains and, and poor planning yes. and, and so on and so forth? I mean, you, you would think, Jeff, during COVID, we had that wake up call that, you know, global supply chains don't always work that well during global disruptions. Mm -hmm. And look what's going on right now. We got issues with Suez Canal, the Panama Canal, the, the Gaza issue, Gaza situation, Ukraine situation, China, blah, 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 blah. But again, they're still keep driving. How do we make it? You know, I think brands in general, I don't say all brands, but pretty much feel like if they're not producing their product overseas, they're leaving some money on the table. And what I'm hoping in the work that we're doing uh, matter of fact, with UNC Business School, is let's put a, a cost, let's put a price on that 30%. Let's put a price on that lack of transparency. You know, we end up with that all of a sudden we find out we have a parallel that's made by the Uyghurs in China. 
and nobody knew about it. And it's too late now. So I think, yes, I think the biggest problem is because of a globalization and just what's happening right now with what's in the, um, the Suez Canal and having to go around Africa, it's taking longer to get here. So uh, they're just having, you know, I've here, and again, we don't work with those brands anymore. Some brands are like, you know, 12 to 18 months out in forecasts. And I can tell you at that point, I don't care how much you're getting paid, you're guessing. Mm-hmm. There's no way that you can turn what you guys or we're going to be wearing or our wives are going to be wearing um, 18 months from now. It's just a guess. So that's what they do. They just pat it and knowing that they're just going to dump it out the back. Well, we're, you know, we're talking here about some pretty, pretty big global issues here. So let's try to let's try to bring that down to to your company and what yes. you guys do to to try to have some impact on that. And then and it it's going to take more than you and your company. But but uh, you know, we're you're, you're you're planting a flag and trying to, to to make sure people understand these issues. And you're actually trying to do something about it. So you pursue a strategy that you call the triple bottom bottom line called People, Planet, and Profit. So what, is that, what does that mean to you and your company? Well, again, Jeff, that goes back to, you know, having a business that since I started while I was at NC State, overnight get destroyed by the idea of somebody could do it cheaper. And I was a very, very early adopter to the idea of a triple bottom line. Because I think at the end of the day, we do have an obligation and a responsibility, not only to our shareholders or stakeholders or investors or whatever, it might be, but what are we doing to the, the people that, you know, that work here, the people that are in our supply chain, and the impact we have on this planet? And I think that's more important than ever that we are responsible for that. So, yes, we were an early doctor as I look out the window and just from our just landscaping and how we, you know, treat the land. And it looks more like a forest than it does a, a typical, you know, industrial business, industrial park. But again, I think it, it's just it's just We've been at it so long, Jeff, it's essentially built into our DNA. You know, everything we do as a business looks at that impact. Yes, what's it going, how do we impact the bottom line? Uh, but we realized, too, by not going overseas, we're going to make some sacrifices. And one of the sacrifices we made is those customers that are solely interested in price probably will not do business with us because they'll get it cheaper. But as we come out, and again, this was a very, very hard conversation to have, say, in the mid-90s. Where people say, wait a minute, wait a minute, you mean you only, you only buy, you know, we're able to take cotton from this image behind me and we're able, I like to say, we make a shirt, dirt to shirt is what we, our tagline is, 700 miles, completely transparent supply chain, all in North Carolina. So anyway, we'd started that probably 15 plus years ago. And so in the early days, what would happen is people said, wait a minute, it costs too much. You know, why would I pay you that when I can get it over there? But then when we start digging deeper, you know, what, what is the environmental and social impact of those choices and you're laying off people and affecting their jobs, affecting the environment. I like to say it's not that our product costs more. It's probably what you're buying is not priced properly. And that's the thing that I was saying and that we're working on now with um, the business school down at UNC is, you know, when we throw around these terms of 98% overseas and 30% uh, closing on my retail, what does that actually mean cost? Not not the cost to you when you go buy it, but because I like to say, too, we're not measuring the external negative cost of, again, those clothes sitting in the desert. That really hurts you guys, those clothes sitting in the desert, but it is a cost. And so we need to start recognizing those costs. And when we recognize those costs, then it 
this whole thing about, well, it costs too much making the U.S. Well, does it really? And so, uh, but it's tough. I mean, you know, it's, it's not a black and white answer. And the challenge that we have from a consumer standpoint, um, if you're just given an option of something that's $10 and $5 without any other information, of course you're going to buy the one at $5. We all do that. Our job, and what we like to say, is our best customer is an educated customer. And I have hope in the future when I especially work with younger people, what they're asking those questions, where's that made and how that made? I want to know that person. I want to contact that person. So, we, want, you know, I'm encouraged with the future, but also we've got a lot of ground to make up and we don't have a lot of time in which to do it. Well, and, and um, you know, none of us wants to sit around and say, oh, you know, uh, global warming is a good thing because it's making people more sensitive <laughs> about uh, environmental issues and sustainability. You know, no one wants to sit around and say, Oh, there are some some positive benefits from COVID is that people, you know, we, we were able to figure out how to make uh, PPE uh, masks and gowns and things here domestically. I mean, uh, you know, th- there might have been some positive things, but uh, the, the negatives greatly outweigh them. You know, so, I mean, are you seeing you, you talk, you, you say you're talking to young people, you're working with uh, the, the UNC Business School. Um, you know, are, are you seeing more interest, more focus is, 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 or is there a shift in, in consumer attitudes at this point in time uh, with are people being more open to, to saying, yeah, I'm willing to pay more to, to get it made locally, to, to, to work with companies that, uh, you know, have, have more interest in, in our environment and, and focused on these things. Yes, yeah, sir. I think the consumer interest is growing. The, the challenge that we have is again, when the apparel industry made that big transition to go overseas in the nineties um, and they've set up all of their systems, you know, to basically how do we manufacture overseas? Um, they're having a hard time pivoting back. And, um, and I think part of that reason they have a hard time pivoting back, they're not seeing or understanding all of their costs of their impact. So um, by the consumer is more engaged. I think the brands are less because, again, they're trying to say, you know, not fully held responsible for their, you know, uh, global impact that they're having. And again, um, one thing I like to say is when you go outside of your market for product or service your market can deliver, you're cheating the system. And, And this is a perfect example. I think back to, you know, another scary fact, and I might miss a percentage a little bit, but I think it's about 90%, over 90% of the cotton that's grown in this country leaves this country somewhere along the supply chain. You know, it could be uh, fiber, it could be yarn, it could be fabric, but very little stays all the way here from, and we got this great asset of cotton here, uh, but very little of that stays in this country, travels around the world, so it comes back to your store so you can buy it. I mean, there's just something, again, we're not going to put the genie back in the bottle when it comes to globalization. But boy, we can do a much better job with certain things. And again, we're very fortunate to have a business in North Carolina, which I like to say is at the intersection of agriculture and apparel, the best place in the world, which has been neglected. And we've lost a lot of jobs because everybody says, well, it's too expensive. Let's define too expensive and I think it will have we'll have a different conversation. And I think opportunities are coming back here. 
Well, so if, if we've got folks that are, are listening to us uh, have this conversation that might have, they, they might be, they might have their own business or think about starting a business and they might run into similar challenges that you face in terms of saying, hey, I'd, I'd love to make it here in the United States, but I'm, there's such a cost difference that it's a very, you know, it's a, it's a big hill to climb here. I mean, how, how have you been successful in, uh, in, Positioning yourself so that uh, you know, your 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 customers are saying, "Hey, it's worth paying a little bit more for this product that I know uh, I can see how it's made." You talk about dirt to shirt. You're you're focused on using local materials. You're focused on uh, making sure that your employees are paid a fair wage. Um, you know, but but ultimately, you still have to make a compelling uh, case to your consumer that hey, I've got a product that it's worth you you're you paying, and you shouldn't go down to Walmart and get that five dollar t shirt. I got something that that uh, is more valuable. And how do you how do you go about making that case? And how would how would some of our listeners, if they're in that facing that same challenge, what advice do you have for them? One thing I like to say, Jeff, is uh, one of my taglines, sustainability is a journey, not a destination. And we've been on this journey, you know, since the mid-90s. And we'll be on this journey as long as I'm here. And hopefully the next generation of TS Designs will continue on. And part of that journey is, um, you know, it's, it's not perfect. Uh, but aware, being aware of your impact, um, how you can change that impact and, and move forward. But, I mean, I just, what I like to say is, I'll meet anybody along the spectrum um, back to a pair of where they are and what they're doing. It might just, you know, maybe they can't make the full loan, you know, come back to North Carolina, but maybe we can do some stuff, add some value, add to it. And let's just start, you know, developing that relationship, uh, understanding the value that we can bring to them. But I do think the thing that what we can do is we can bring back speed to market that we've lost by going global. But, but again, true with all businesses, it's just there's no silver bullet solution to sustainability. But it starts with just being aware and then and then communicating, connect with people. It takes a community. There's not one person that has all the answers. So how do you find those people that can help? I mean, we've got wind. We've got solar. We used to make biodiesel back here. Yes, we did it TS Design. Yes, I was involved in it. But I can tell you there were a lot more other people, including myself, that help us do those projects and move those projects forward. So it's, it's finding that community. And again, it's the, the Manufacturing Solutions Center, you know, the uh, Anova Nits that's up there. I mean, we're working on some projects with them. And just the collaboration, you know, we're just a, we're just one little speck uh, in this supply chain. And it's never been our goal to, like, just control it all. You know, we got a great relationship with a cotton farmer, I would say probably 18 years now. I mean, they do a phenomenal job. I'm not interested in growing the cotton, learning the cotton. I trust them. And that's the nice thing, too, with these local supply chains I want to uh, touch base on. You develop relationships beyond a PO. When you're in a global marketplace, I'm just sending a PO to you, and you, you execute it. You get the good quality. But if that's my only depth with you, if somebody else says, hey, I can do it cheaper, there's no um, depth to that relationship other than that one transaction. I know this third generation cotton, I'm working now with the third generation, start off with the second generation uh, cotton farmer. I know their family. I've been there, been to their home, been to their farm. And I said it for the whole supply chain. And the value of that is when, you know, the times are tough. 
or you need a favor or things didn't go exactly right is you've got a relationship beyond just this, you know, PO to this person halfway around the world that you've never met. Might even can't even talk the language. Many time zones different. It's just you lose a lot there. And they're just, to me, relationships are so critical, especially in the apparel industry, because we all know there's a lot of steps that happen from that cotton field to that T-shirt that's back in my plant that's being produced. So, so um, yeah, I know one of the things that you focus on is uh, transparency about where your materials come from, where your products come from. You actually have a website that I think is called wearyourclothing.com. Uh, That's correct. You know, wear, W-H-E-R-E, yourclothing.com. Yep. You know, tell us a little bit about what, what people can see there and you know, why did you do that? Well, again, I think no one is at least 15 years ago when we developed the idea of working with a cotton farmer. And this, again, came out of NAFTA when I realized we're not going to be the low cost producer. And I said, wait a minute, we grow great cotton here in North Carolina. Let's connect with that cotton. I knew then, as I know now, you know, we're not going to ever grow cotton. That's not what we do or make sense or whatever. But I, when I went down and met at that, and uh, now it was Ronnie at the time. Uh, Ronnie's in his mid-70s now. Andrew's running the farm. I remember when I first met him, he, he says, you know, why in the heck is a little bitty company, DS Designs, in Bronte, North Carolina, coming down here? Because you can buy all the cotton T-shirts. At that time, it was a 1-800 number. Now you just go to a website. But anyway, and I says, I want to make sure we can control where that cotton goes. The only way to do that is I buy it. And then we have Samaritan that takes it from the field to the gin, the gin to the spin, it finished cut so all the way through. And so um, we knew we, you know, how do we not just say, hey, it's cotton in Carolinas. And is we originally started off with contrasting thread in the sleeve and in the hem of the shirt. And so you would take those two little colors to the website, wearyclothing.com, you put them in there, and here's the map that where the, where the shirt was made. Because again, Sometimes we use a different spinner or a different knitter or whatever, all in the Carolinas, but it can move around. And then during COVID, we all got used to those scanning QR codes. The restaurant says, well, let's just put a QR code in our shirt, which we did. So basically we pad print in the back of the neck. So you scan that and then you go to everybody in the supply chain. But at that location, again, use the farmer's example, you get a picture a phone number, a physical address, and an email of everybody in the spot. You don't have to, you just go to the website. You don't have to ask my permission, just go there. And again, what I like to say is I'm not saying we're perfect. I'm not saying there's room not for improvement, but there's not going to be any secrets where our shit is made. Try that with any other apparel you can buy or see. At best, you'll get made in, and but that made in could be made in USA with imported fabric. Where did imported fabric come from? I mean, just... It is just a black box of mystery. That black box is what constantly gets us into problems. And we're fortunate that we're able to have it all right here. So literally we can get in my car and see everybody in the supply chain in one day. That's pretty cool. Pretty cool. Now, one thing that, that uh, I really enjoyed learning a little bit about uh you know, with your company is that you've gotten pretty creative in terms of figuring out ways to do natural dyes, you know, and it, you guys were involved with this uh, beanie, the the marigold beanie, where you were, 
getting uh, flowers from a, a brewery, I think. And I know you're, yes. you're working on some sort of dye using acorns. Is that correct? or, or my, uh, black, black, black walnuts. Black walnuts. Is the, I'm sorry. Is the thing on the front burner right now. Okay. Yes. I mean, tell, you know, how do you, know, do, do you have That's a mad, interesting. Do you have a mad scientist on your staff or how do you come up with this stuff? <laughs> no, but I mean, that again, that was not, during COVID, a lot of things happened. We had to really kind of re- look at our business, what we're going, what we're going to do. So one thing we did during COVID, we launched, TS Designs is business to business. So we uh, launched a direct-to-consumer retail brand called Solid State Clothing. And TS Designs for years has always been, for a small business, we spend a lot of money on R&D. Because, again, a lot of people don't want to do it. They see the, they don't understand the expense, the time, whatever. we do it. But we've never had a way to how do we engage the consumer that, um, uh, that wants to support us, but basically can't order, you know, a thousand t-shirts. So Solid State was created. We're very fortunate during that. And she's highlighted in this uh, Marigold beanie that was our state magazine style product of the year in 2023. And Courtney Lockamer um, was our spokesperson on that. When she came on board of TS Signs during COVID, she had a natural dye background and interest. So when we launched Solid State, the background says, let's start looking at natural dyes. The first thing we realize is majority of natural dyes, the materials are basically being coming from other countries. We're not here. So Marigold was the first one we did. Wait, we can grow it here. We can process it here. We made a great product. Fast forward, what happened now? We're super excited about what we call the Black Walnut Project. And we will be working with a group of MBA students at University of Vermont uh, this spring and summer to document these revenue channels. But what we've determined is, and I don't have all the exact numbers, but there's millions, if not billions of pounds of black walnut falls on the ground. And if you know anything about black walnuts, when you pick them up, they get all, it's that nasty stuff on the outside shell. Well, that's what we want for the dyes. And then we've already partnered up with another company that will be able to take that husk off. And then you take the woody part. We can use that as an, um, an abrasive and hand cleaners, which are already developing. Then you actually get the nut that we all want. Um, and so we're going to map out these revenue channels. And so we've determined not only we have all the brown dye we ever want. So we're trying to, the biggest challenge with natural dyeing is it's kind of a, uh, a hit or miss, not a very controlled science. We want to bring uh, consistency and capacity to grow that. And now we've got a, a resource that's essentially free. And so we're going to, you know, how do we harvest that and build the system? So that's going to be happening this year. Um, and then again, we do a, a black walnut t-shirt on solid state again to keep supporting and promoting that story. But I think there's, we've got a dye garden that we're putting in at TS Designs to identify other plant material that we can use. We did a project with hemp leaves last year. So I think that we're just scratching the surface on what we can do with natural dyes that can be cultivated in the Carolinas. Super, super. Well, really creative. Yeah. Well, Eric, you've been at this for a while. And uh, as we sort of uh, wind up a little bit, uh, you know, what sort of do you have advice for folks, business owners, to you know, looking to to make sure their businesses are going to be around a while? You know, I, 
sustainability probably has a few different meanings for you, but just in terms of extending your business and trying to, to make sure you're going to be around a while, what sort of advice do you have for other business owners? Well, one thing I've learned in 44 years, and it's more, you know, business is constantly changing. So if you don't have your eyes open and looking forward, you're going to get run over. Um, and the other thing is, as I said, it takes a community. I mean, again, a shout out to what you do, Jeff, at Manufacturing Solutions Center. I mean, y'all have done some testing for us, you know, some, making some product for us. So you just, you know, it's very hard unless you're, I guess, you're a, a Taylor Swift and you just have talent and everybody pays you for that talent. She got um, a pretty big crew behind her too, though, I think. <laughs> but but she but she's the, she's the voice. You know, what she says goes. I mean, for us, we're part of a very complicated system uh, and we need to stay connected and uh, work with that. So it's just, you got to put yourself out there. You got to be willing to adapt and change. Um, and we're just, again, it's one of those things, kind of like life too, we're lucky that um, I started a business at NC State in 1978. I started, I started business, then I merged with TS Designs. And um, having started a business that the resources for my business can be done in this area, I get so much um, gratitude for uh, because I know it, it's sometimes you might say easier from the standpoint of checking the boxes in a global economy. But to me, the value of connecting with community and understanding the people that make it beyond the POs I said earlier just means so much to us and to TS Designs. Well, we, we appreciate you sharing uh, uh, the TS Design story and, and having a chance to talk about uh, uh, you know how you've been able to compete in a in a global marketplace and do it locally. So, uh, uh, you know, kudos to you and and uh, you know very impressive. You know, it's a, a story that I Thank that you. I hope. Uh, people can take some lessons and inspiration from as, as they're listening. So uh, if people want to find out more about TS designs, where should they be looking? Uh, website, uh, very simple. T is in Tom, S is in Sam designs, D E S I G N S.com. Okay. I have a burning question. Burn. Okay. He's tied to NC state and he's a Carolina fan. I don't. I, I think he might have spent a little time at both. Institutions. I was going to say. I was going to say. I, I, is that He's great? giving a shout out to both of them. So yeah, I think well. that's very. Oh yeah, it, it, it's interesting you say that because yes, I'm. And again, we're very fortunate to have those great universities in our backyard because we do a lot of work at, at UNC and NC State. NC State, you know, they got school of textiles, ag school, and then the Carolinas Business School. So yeah, I mean, and then we got cotton and corporate. I mean, we just got all these great institutions organizations um that are out there but you, you know again you have to engage with them but the thing i found with the universities is they they love to you know especially get their students engaged in real world stuff and not just you know reading from a textbook or something like that um but we're just very fortunate to have those relationships and um institutes in our community yeah and i think the one thing they can always bring together is our hatred of duke well, yes, <laughs> that includes the black and gold from Winston-Salem, yeah. of course. I noticed Eric didn't mention anything to throw any kudos out to Duke, which we appreciate. Yes, yeah, we appreciate this, Especially that. this week. So anyway. So the lesson learned is make sure your allegiance is important to you. 
but you want to make sure from a business standpoint, you use all the resources that are available to build us. Your, build your network, right, Derek? Very, build your network, nurse your network. Unless they're in Durham. Be there when your network needs you. Don't always feel like you're taking from them. When they need something, put yourself out. It's, it's, a, it's a two-way street. Well, we, we, we very much appreciate you joining us today. We always like to do a little lightning round with our, our guests. You up for a little lightning round with us today? Sure. Let's All try. Right. Well, you know, today we're, we're taping this on Groundhog Day. So so in, in honor of Groundhog Day, our lightning round is sponsored by Ned Ryerson Insurance. Whole life, auto, flood, home. You can't have enough insurance. Stay safe with Ned Ryerson Insurance, and you should check out Ned Ryerson on the Internet. So, Eric, we've got some quick questions. Quick answers. Don't overthink it. First question, you know, and this might go back to your uh, your beer co-op, but what is your adult beverage of choice? Oh, of course, a beer from Burlington Beer Works. You, I mean, do you have a particular one? Are you an ale guy, a lager guy, an IPA guy? What's your what's your choice there? I go in there and I says, what do I look like today? You know, we got there's usually 13 beers on tap. And they says, you look like this today. So I, I always go in there with an open mind and they give me a great beer. So I, I have no uh, preferences. Uh, so so I, as long as it's cold. Yes. Okay. Cold and fresh and local. Uh, Beatles or Rolling Stones for you? Oh, Rolling Stones. I had an opportunity to see them for my 40th birthday on like the front row. So definitely a Stones fan. My wife's a Beatles fan. I'm like, okay, but Stones, of course. <laughs> Beatles are okay. Beatles are okay. Come on. Let's, let's give them a little bit more than that. All right. Uh, but the Stones are still at it, man. They're giving, they're giving us hope for us all. Uh, this is, this is true. They're still doing it. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. You know Keith Richards looks like he's a, you know, a mummy, but he's doing it. Uh, <laughs> if you were an Olympic athlete, what sport would you compete in? The marathon. Oh, well, you've been doing it a long time. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like our business. I just keep on going. Who is your uh, pick to win this year's Super Bowl? Oh, my gosh. Uh, I like to see a change, but I think the Chiefs are going to do it again. Last question for you. If you had to pick a spirit animal, what would it be? A spirit animal? I don't know why a wolf bop jumped in my mind, but a wolf. Right. I don't know why that came up with. You said what's top of my mind. That's, that's, that's not a bad one. All right. Well, wolf. All right. All right. Well, you can find uh, out more about TS Designs, as Eric said, at uh, tsdesigns, with an S on the back, dot com. You can go to their website and see a lot of the cool stuff they're doing. I, I think, actually, at one point when I was out there, Eric, I wandered over a, a TED Talk that you might have done several years ago as well. I don't know if that was on LinkedIn yep. or, or TS Designs. No, but- it's, it's on our website, did TED Talk, Elon University. Many years ago, I was supposed to do another one, and that COVID thing got in the way, so uh, I've, I've done that. Um, but, what, Jeff, before I leave, I, I got to gotta give a shout-out to Molly – and Sarah, and Industrial Commons, and then all the other people that I'll probably forget, Manufacturing Solutions Center, NC State, Gaston College, for the National Science Foundation uh, Engine Grant. Congratulations. This is going to be a game changer and necessary funding to for the apparel future. So I'm just so excited and honored. And just congratulations to all the people up in your neck of woods that participated to make this happen. And and, and, and thank you very much. What, what Eric is referring to is that uh, the National Science Foundation in the last week or so announced that uh, uh, they would be funding 
a, a grant, uh, what they call an engine, to help uh, create a sustainable textile economy based here in Western North Carolina. And, and Eric uh, contributed to uh, presentations as the National Science Foundation evaluated that and uh, the Industrial Commons in Morganton, North Carolina. Maybe we'll get them on our podcast mm-hmm. at some point in time. Be great. Uh, was is was the lead organization and and sort of orchestrated it. So uh, uh, Sarah Chester and Molly Hemstreet get some shout out for that. At the end of our podcast, we always like to give a shout out to to small businesses. Eric, I don't know if you got anybody you want to 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 give any kudos to. I mean, you've already talked about the the Burlington Beer Co op. We're going to be checking them out. You got anything else you want to? Uh, now, I want to give a, a shout out to a good friend of mine, your neck of woods, a guy Carpenter Bear Fiber. A uh, guy I've known for, good gracious, another 20-plus years. But he, we're very fortunate to have Guy, not only in North Carolina, his business in Morganton, but he's a leader and on the front of bringing industrial hemp back to the U.S. And again, big shout-out to him. We're working on some projects with him. And we wouldn't be, we wouldn't be with hemp in the States if it wasn't the work the Guy did. So thank you, uh, Mr. Carpenter. He's very tireless at that, no doubt about it. Gary, you got a small business you want to give a shout out to. I do. And it kind of fits in my wheelhouse of the things that I talk about in our uh, business of the month. I was going to visit my daughter and grandchildren in Charleston area, Somerville to be exact. And we went to dinner at Paige's Okra Grill. Okra Grill. And you would you would oh, wow. not have expected that to come out of Gary Muller's mouth because I'm uh, pretty straightforward <laughs> hot dogs, che- hamburgers, and pizza. Yeah, more of a cheeseburger kind of guy. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but they took me there uh, to their new restaurant. Actually, before I go there, started as food truck. So I think it's mm-hmm. interesting. They started the business food truck in Mount Pleasant, right outside Charleston. And basically, they used the food trucks to test the market. And so they also did a food truck in the Somerville area and it's great. It's good down home, Southern food known for their seafood, uh, but they have a nice setting. They put around their restaurants and the food's great. Mm-hmm. And I had a vegetable tray right? and they have great desserts. And oh, so if you, if you eat the vegetables, you're allowed to go heavy on the dessert. I right? know. So All it was right. a great combination. So there was something for everybody there in a great, great setting. All right. Well, sounds good. Uh, yeah, and I'll have to check with you. We've got a we got a wedding on the docket in Charleston uh, this summer, so I'll have to get some some additional recommendations from you as well. Uh, yeah, because we love Charleston. All right, I'm going to give a shout out to a company, and and I'm wondering if Eric has heard of them, but uh, it's a company called American Roots in Portland, Maine, uh, and uh, I was. I was reading an op-ed piece and written by a woman named Rachel Slade. And she's just come out with a book called making it in America that really talks about the challenges that this company, American roots has had in uh, doing fleece and t-shirts and apparel in Portland, Maine. And, uh, uh, I think they've been some through some similar challenges that we've been through here in North Carolina, where they saw their apparel industry disappear mm-hmm. and a fellow named Ben Waxman, who had uh, grown up in Portland, Maine, moved away, came back in 2013. And uh, his mom had had a, an, an apparel business when he was growing up and he decided that he wanted to, to restart the business and uh, create American made products. And uh, he's slowly and surely been able to do that. And, 
they're now, he and his wife are running the company. They do fleece. They do cottons, lightweight jerseys. Uh, one of the big challenges that they've had is putting a workforce together and making sure that they're paying them a livable wage. And, and right. they've uh, uh, been creating industrial sewing programs there, similar to what the Industrial Commons does in Morganton to, to create a workforce. So uh, you know, just felt like a very cool company. They've also found a way to do it here in the United States. And if you go to American Roots Wear, W-E-A-R.com, you can learn about them. So uh, uh, check them out when you get a chance. Very cool. So. Anyway, we appreciate uh, Eric. Thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate you coming on and, and sharing uh, uh, information about uh, what you're up to. And uh, we want to give a uh, big thanks to the Mesh Podcast Network, as always, for hosting us. You can check them out at uh, themesh.tv and see a whole bunch of different cool podcasts that they're doing from uh, business to comedy to sports to all sorts of things. And so check them out at TheMesh.TV. And Gary, we'll look forward to coming back uh, next month and doing it Looking forward to it. This was great. Thanks, Eric. We appreciate you. Gary, Jeff, thank you so much for the opportunity. Y'all have a great rest of your week. And remember, important go Heels. I can even say that this weekend. <laughs> Y'all have a good one, guys. Thanks a lot. been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.